You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and this is a special single track edition of After the Encore with Jamie Harris. Jamie Harris is a badass, amazing feminist folk Americana artist who has come up from small town Texas, been in Austin, moved to Nashville, and is poised to become the next breakout star. She's consistently been a 100% independent artist, and her latest album, Red Rescue, resonates on an emotional level, not just with me, but with a lot of individual people. And so we're going to dive into her career, but just know that this single track with Jamie is something special. It's at a time when things are changing and maybe some good things are starting to happen, Um, but it's also exhausting. And it's also a time when you learn where a lot of your limitations are and where um, a lot of improvements need to be made. And so it's a very challenging time. And if you talk about that struggle openly to some people, it seems like you're ungrateful, which right. is not the case. And so it turns into a very lonely situation. And I finally just started writing about it on prose. And so I'm thinking about asking other people, like, have, what did you not share that you wish right. that you had? What did you go through alone that you wish that you hadn't? So much so. I think, like, thinking through, I've been, I mean, I, so the last weekend we went out to Petern, oh, what, Petternelli Falls, uh, past Houston, so in Dripping Springs, or not Houston, Austin, in Dripping Springs. Mm-hmm. And I was out, and everybody had gone to bed. We had this little cabin, and I like, walked out where I could finally see the stars. And I was just listening to your album because I was trying to get it you know, in mind. And I was playing Creatures over and over again because it just really <laughs> spoke to me. And I was looking up at the stars and was just like, I feel like, this is why I love music so much, is it really connects with you on a level, whether you're happy, you're sad, you're thoughtful, you're contemplative or things just really fucking suck and you need something to speak to you and for instance your song creatures and how like the fact that like night kind of changes your perspective on the situation and the individual aspects i was like yes that's was me in the dark and now we're coming up out of it into the good times and that's i feel like i'm getting emotional but Mm -hmm. i feel like that's the power that the word and the stories and sharing these experiences have is it allows people to feel like we're all, we're all to quote piebald. We're all part of it. Right. Right. And, and we're not, uh, we're not alone. And I think 
and I mean, I was listening to Lincoln Park right before uh, Chester unfortunately committed suicide, and he had a song like "Nobody Can Save Me," right. and that felt so like a cry for help. And then you got Demi Lovato singing, "Is was anyone out there?" Right, and talking about singing at the Grammys, and it's just like you you can tell when people are sharing this story, sometimes they're not even aware of what they're sharing in the moment, and it takes maybe somebody looking and contributing to really weigh in on that. Oh, absolutely. I've, you know, my philosophy of writing or why I'm drawn to writing is because it's songs are like lifeboats for me. Mm. You know, they help me to understand my own experience in a way that I wouldn't be able to right. on my own without it. And I mean, I even listening to music, right? I mean, how powerful is it when you hear a song and you go, that's me mm. and it makes you feel mm. less alone and that's why music has been so comforting to me in so many ways. And I feel like when I started writing, it allowed me to exist in the world in a way that I couldn't without it. Yes. Because, um, funny you talk about this on a podcast, but, um, or I should have warned you maybe, <laughs> no, but I feel like I'm not a great verbalizer. Mm. You know, my brain is like a ping pong ball going around all the time right. on a good day. And right. when I'm dealing with depression, I have a hard time completing sentences or completing a thought. And sure. then I just, that turns into like, oh my gosh, and freak out and anxiety and self-hatred and then the spiral happens. But right. with music, I'm able to take something and say, okay, three and a half minutes and, you know, there are, what, five or six different forms of a song right. for the most part. Right. And so like, there's kind of a formula where I can put it down on the page and, and look at it and go, oh, okay, if I really take the song and, and allow the song to be what the song wants to be, because that's the other part of it too, right? right. I mean, there's a difference in being an entertainer and, and, you know, writing in a different, I mean, I love, I mean, I was jamming out to the Spice Girls on the way up here. Like, I love the Spice Girls, <laughs> right. no shame. I still listen to Hanson quite a bit, yeah. you know, and like Kiss, you know, yep. there's nothing wrong with right, that. Right. I love it so much. Right. But for me, and what, for mostly what I'm drawn to is stuff that's, you know, drawn um, from that kind of, I don't even want to say that dark place. Sometimes you don't even know exactly where it's coming from until the whole thing's on the page. Or right. sometimes I even have to live five extra years to realize some of the impact of a song that I've written. Right. Or sometimes I'm on stage and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm singing this thing and I'm in this place again. Right. And I didn't realize it until I'm, I'm on stage. It's pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> it's crazy. There was, um, I've been listening a lot to uh, I Need to Know, which is Chance the Rapper and Macklemore. Mm. And there's a line in there that Chance the Rapper says. He says, looking in the mirror, um, looking in the mirror, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing it because I don't quite have it, but he's saying, looking in the mirror, like, damn, that ain't my dad, is it? And that I don't have a great relationship with my dad right now. And that's fairly recent. And I went, why am I listening to this? And why is that one line sticking with me more than anything else? And so like going to therapy and thinking through it out loud and inviting others into the conversation, I'm realizing it's because I'm at the point where I go, I can't quite, I'm still trying to reconcile stuff that my dad did when I was a kid that I'm now realizing I'm not okay with, with be it religion, be it with how we were raised, be it financial decisions that were made, all that. And I'm at the point where I go, I can't, I can't be at that point yet because I don't want to be that. And I haven't dealt with this aspect of our relationship to where I'm comfortable looking like an old man, right? essentially. And I don't know if that's what the line was intended, but that's what I took from it. And I think the powerful thing about music is the fact that we can take what we need from it and also give what we have to give back to it. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think if a song is well written, you are able to put yourself in that story. Right. You know, you see yourself in the song and you create your own meaning. Right. Exactly. It's so powerful. Like that's a songwriting tip that I've learned that kind of blew my mind because in some ways you would think that making generalizations would be more broad. Right. But how have you, you know, have you heard a song where someone, they're not just saying, you know, in the car, they're talking about the, you know, a grand marquee right. and they say, you know, it's not just the store, it's the H-E-B or whatever, these specific right, details right, and you right. go, oh my gosh, they're reading my diary. Right. And it hits you so much exactly. harder. Exactly. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we just dove right in. I'm here with Jamie <laughs> Harris, and you know what? I don't hate it. This is amazing. Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm great. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me and for emailing me. Of and course. Putting up with my millions of emails oh, to make no, this happen. It's I'm perfect. sorry. I'm I a got, scheduling nightmare. <laughs> no, you are great, and I got to say thank you to Natalie Price for setting this up. Yes. She's a dear, dear friend of mine. Grew up in the same church, in the same circles. And we, I don't think we've gotten close except for the last like year or two when we finally realized, oh, we're adults and we both see eye to eye and we're not the same like weird, scared kids, <laughs> unsure of how the world's going to end up. So, well, I mean, I think we're all still kind of worried about how the world's going to end up. I'm a little worried. I'm pretty worried. putting that to the <laughs> side. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I've got all of my notes here. And so we're going to talk about Red Rescue, your fantastic album. And we're going to do a deep dive on creatures because I don't think anybody's done a deep dive on creatures and that's my favorite song so on the album. Wow. And but I want to talk about the fact that you got started in music. Your dad is both an attorney and a musician and so musicality is in your blood. And so I want to talk about the fact that you wanted a Pegasus for Christmas but you got a guitar instead. So walk me through the early stages of being around music. We've heard from people about how it's formative to see their parents playing or working through songs and really kind of passing on their love of music of a certain genre or a certain uh, band to their children. But specifically, how is it like in the Harris household hmm. growing up? That's interesting. So my parents, I'm basically the reason for the season. Um, <laughs> I was an unplanned <laughs> situation that resulted in a very quick marriage. And, um, my parents were, were 20 when they had me. Okay. And, um, my mom was going to Baylor at the time. Okay. Very scandalous. And my dad uh, yeah. was going to UT, right? For Baylor. Uh, and yeah. they, you know, so, um, my dad looked on a map and saw the cheapest place in Texas to live that had a university. And at the time it was Nacogdoches. So oh, they yeah, went to yeah, SFA. Yeah. Yep. And um, my dad put himself through college by playing in a cover band and eventually got into law school. It's, he's kind of a genius. He didn't realize that you could study for the LSAT or that people take <laughs> courses to study for the LSAT. I think he played a gig till four o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, got home at six, you know, kind of drunk and then took it and got a near perfect score. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> so I was around music because, you know, the, the parents are trading me off. And right. so I would be at the gigs, you know, with... Coke and cherry maraschino cherries from the bartenders, right. that kind of thing was <laughs> yeah, my yeah. life, you know? Right. Um, but the year that I wanted the Pegasus for Christmas, my dad had this Emmylou Harris song in Light of the Stable, this Christmas song she had, and I just played it over and over and over and over again. And before that, I was into Raffi. That was the thing that captivated me. <laughs> yeah. I watched Raffi over and over and over again. So I was pretty interested in music, but I think that Emmylou Harris thing was kind of what tipped my dad off. That right. I was into it. And so I don't actually have a lot of solid memories of my dad sitting around writing or playing guitar. Um, but once he realized I was 
into it. He did get me one. And then two years later, I fell in love with Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And I didn't care if I was Stevie Nicks or if I was Lindsey Buckingham right. or even John McVie. I right. knew I could never be a drummer even at that age. <laughs> but um, he, but that's when I was like, oh, I'm going to start playing. Yeah. And so when I was 10, I started playing um, in between the sets of my dad's cover band. That's right, because they would play like four-hour sets or so, right? Exactly. And then so they, they would take little breaks and you would go, but sometimes you'd get kicked out of the bar, right? Exactly right. <laughs> there was a woman named Beth Petrick that would drive the getaway car. So for every <laughs> set that I didn't get to play, she right. would buy me a CD. So I either got oh, to play awesome. a show or I got to... Win-win. Exactly. <laughs> and that carried on until I went to the first Austin City Limits Music Festival oh, and wow. I saw Buddy Miller and Julie Miller and Patty Griffin and... Um, there was no local radio station where I grew up. Okay. So I didn't really, or not even a local record store. So I didn't have right. access to, I guess, what is now known as Americana music. Right. Even, I guess it was alt country back then. Right. It was like this weird, like, it's not really folk. It's not really country. It's just kind of there in between. Exactly. A yeah. homeless right. genre. So let's yeah. just call it Americana. Americana. It it, right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's when I, something about that, you know, because my dad had told me earlier, you should really think about writing songs because if you do you might get more enjoyment out of it. Yeah. It's a really cool thing. And financially, it's a better situation and you have more control over your career. I mean, right. he told me that when I was 13. And after I saw that show, I started writing my first song. So and so what year was this with the Austin City Limits? Gosh, that was probably 2002. And your dad bought you CDs at ACL, right? Because he, he saw how moved you were with the music, right? He did. He bought me the entire Patty Griffin catalog at that time, which was extremely important. All right. <laughs> I learned every single one of those songs in my bedroom and just fell in love with those records. And you had the guitar at this point, obviously, because you're about 13 or so. Right. And now you've got it. And so now you're not only being inspired by the music, but you're you're teaching yourself how to learn. You're listening. You're, you're really... It's This is the foundation for the artist that you're going to eventually become. Absolutely right. right. So when my, so when I started writing, my dad was like, Oh, he'd gotten into home recording at the time. Oh, nice. And taught himself how to record. And, and he said, why don't we just try to write together some and record some? So we played for a long time, pretty much till I went to college as a duo called better off dad. Oh, that's awesome. We used to play at a coffee shop that's since been closed in Fort Worth called Panther city. Coffee. Yes. Do you remember that place? Uh, that takes me back. I've got lots of memories of Panther city. Yes. I yes. love that mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. I met so many great people there. And I surprised my now wife at that once. Uh, Did you? Yeah. So this is a sidebar, but we were long distance for two years and we were first dating and she went to TCU and she had had a terrible day and we were chatting on the phone and I was going to Howard Payne and Brownwood. So three hours away and I could hear how bad she was. And I hopped in the car, drove all night and told her roommates, Justine and Christina, shout out to them that, Hey, I'm coming. Keep Amanda up. And she was irritated that she had to be up. <laughs> it took her to Panther city. And I walked in, I surprised her. And her first response was, what are you doing here? She thought I was somebody else. Because she couldn't conceive that I was there. And then she realized and she was excited. But anyways, that's a little sidebar. I but, love so I have, that story. I have good, good memories of that place. That's and then, so beautiful. Then they <laughs> yeah, I heard that the TCU bookstore burned down. And yeah. when they built it up, they put a Starbucks in there. Yes. And unfortunately, that's what they did it in, They parking lot to put up a Starbucks. Or yeah. pay yes. paradise <laughs> to put up a Starbucks. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> right? Anyways. Perfect. But I digress. So better off dad. Yeah. So that was the thing for, for a while. And we actually mostly played in Dallas because I grew up in Waco. Sure. Okay. And for some reason, I guess my dad was good friends with that guy, Badger, that owned Panther City oh, Coffee. Right, so right. we played there. We played Opening Bell because I got a gig there because Pascal confused me with Marin Morris. 
It's Mayor Morris and I, who eventually did some gigs together. Yeah. We were the sa- our birthdays were like three days apart. Oh, wow. So we did a lot of stuff together when we were kind of teenagers. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So now that you're, so you did that all pretty much until you went to college and you went to UT? I went to Colorado State for one semester because my dad okay. told me. In Fort Collins. In Fort Collins, yeah. I grew up uh, summers there. So this is, this is a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. I love it there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes. And I wanted to go to UT. I knew I wanted to live in Austin, but and I always thought I would go to UT. My sure. grandfather went to UT, and I just loved it, and I knew I wanted to go to Austin and like live with the hippies. Of you course, know? yeah. But I remember touring the campus and going, like, it just doesn't feel right. And yeah. my dad... I get that. I kind of didn't want to go to college at that time. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should really try to do this music thing. And my dad said, you got to go. No one ever asks you where you graduate from, so you don't have to graduate. They just ask you where you went to. It's true. So They're like, do you, do you have a degree? <laughs> Did you go to college? Great. You exactly. can have any of these jobs. We don't exactly. care. I have a theater degree and I don't work in theater. So, I mean, yeah, let me prove that. Exactly right. So I went for one semester and then came back to Texas and that's how I eventually moved back down to, or moved to Austin in 2009. And that was even as a result of, well, I'll get there because I know that was a result of a conversation, but so your dad was, a, so he took the LSAT. Did he go to UT law school? He went to Baylor law. Baylor law. I didn't realize they had a law school. Oh yeah. They had a okay. great law school. Ooh, I better not. Uh, yeah, if you're a Baylor, <laughs> if you're a Baylor student listening, uh, no shade. No I shade. didn't realize <laughs> If you're going to law school in Texas, I assumed it was UT. Or I think <laughs> A&M has a law school. Maybe. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, maybe they don't. But Baylor does. And he went to Baylor. And then he's been a practicing attorney ever since. Is that correct? He has. And he even turn, continued his music career. I know this is a little towards the end, but I'm going to circle back because music has stayed with him because of the video he did called Throw Out Your Weed, right? Yeah, don't eat your weed. <laughs> right. Because... It was uh, it was giving information about the law, but also keeping it in a fun, fun musical video, right? Exactly. I mean, it's so interesting to me because the not only is it like two lawyers singing in this Brooks and Dunn style, right. <laughs> which is hilarious in right. itself, right. but it's shocking the information. Yeah, you know, oh, this makes it a felony. If right. I toss this out the window, if I eat it, same thing with pot brownies. You know, if you right. get caught, it's the weight of the brownies. So people go to jail. My whole thing is criminal justice right. reform. I'm, we're I consider myself a folk singer, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you get caught with, you know, it's not a pound of weed, right. but it's a pound of brownies. And yeah. so you then you're, you're dealing with minimum mandatory drug sentencing laws. Right. That's insane. It's there are people ridiculous. that go to jail for, you know, hippie moms that go to jail for a pot or a, a thing of brownies. Right. More than murderers go to jail. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I think the fact, uh, the 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 information they were sharing in the law was, if I'm not incorrect, if you eat the weed, it's tampering with evidence. If you hide it, right, or give it away, then it's a misdemeanor. Is that basically if you're ca- if you're caught with less than an ounce in Texas, That's it's right. a misdemeanor. That's right. So they can find it, and it's a misdemeanor. But if you eat it or throw it out the window or try to hide it, that's tampering with evidence. That's what it is. That's it's what it a was. felony. Yeah. And then because we have minimum mandatory drug sentencing laws in this country, they have no choice yeah. but to sentence you to a ridiculous amount of time for right. and something I th- that's legal in other states. And what and I yeah, and I think what's amazing about the power of music and what, you know, you've been around both from your dad's perspective and also being a musician yourself is the fact that even if you're not a quote unquote full-time musician, you still have ways in which you can use your music for a greater good, you know? And I think one of the things your dad is doing is using his knowledge of both the law and music 
to get the message across because it's funny. It's a funny video, but also like you remember it and you remember what it's telling you and comedy and music sticks with you more than anything else. And I think that's just absolutely amazing. Thank you. I'm also, after listening to your dad podcast, I was really (laughs) hoping that I would get a chance to talk about my dad. Well, of course. (laughs) I'm glad that you asked. He's way more interesting than I'll ever be, (laughs) truthfully. Um, But now talk me through. So you came back from Colorado State and the beautiful Rocky Mountain High. And uh, no pun intended because we were just talking about weed. (laughs) But there's the dad joke creeping in. Um, But but walk me through. um, You had your you've got your career and you're working towards the next evolution and you're even thinking about coming to Dallas to work at a shoe store, but you have a conversation with somebody for what, a couple of hours in in Austin and he convinced you to stay there because of a certain singer. Yeah. He told me, he was telling me, you know, there are venues here. Your friends are here. Cause a lot of my friends moved down kind of all at the same time. Sure. And then he said, you know, he pointed in the direction of South Congress Avenue and right. said, which is funny, that's where I was last night, but he said, <laughs> there's, and also there's a club in town where James McMurtry plays twice a week for less than 10 bucks. I was like, a few days later, I packed up my stuff and moved down to Austin. You can't beat that. You cannot beat that. I mean, it's one thing to go see these people that you love, right? It's another thing to be able to walk down the street and see them for a handful of bucks every other week. Like you can't. You can't top that. It's why people go to Nashville. It's why people go to Austin, right? I mean, that's you never know who you're going to walk into a random bar and hear, right? Or a venue. Or see either the current big artist or the next big thing and just know that like you're you, – you just – we talked about the fact that being verbal or having trouble I, – I oftentimes see what I want to say up here. No mm-hmm. one else can see it, right? But I have trouble like formulating and pushing it out. But I think you can feel, and it's true, I think in a lot of these cities, New Orleans is another one, where you can feel mm, yes. the vibe, right? Like you're walking the pavement and you just feel the city and you go, this is, there's magic happening. I may not be a part of it right now, but I feel connected with it. And that, you can't, I love Dallas. I'm from Dallas, but I don't always feel that. But when I go to Austin or New Orleans or Nashville, I feel it. Right. I totally agree. It's really powerful. I definitely have learned in my life that not everyone is so connected to place, to location. But because I grew up in a stable home with, you know, a solid family and I lived in one place for most of my life, I definitely have that connection. And I think artists are pretty in tune with that as well. Any type of creative person um, like Terlingua. Have you, I don't know. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. (sighs) Tomorrow, right. just okay. quit your life and go to Terlingua. It's like vacationing on Mars. It's oh. incredible. There's a place, there's something about the Chisos Mountains there, and the sun sets twice. You see it in front of you, and you see it to the right. I don't know oh. how it works. Oh, wow. It's unbelievable. Oh, and it's just right that. on you know the West Texas border of Mexico, and the San Atlantic Canyon is there. And one of my favorite songwriters of all time, Butch Hancock, lives there in a house that he made out of aluminum cans and glass bottles what it's you just you have to go to this place it's so inspiring oh my god it's unlike any other place you've ever been but i feel a deep connection to that place and the more i i realize i need to honor that especially the past you know 18 months i've been on just going from town to town to town to town to town and i love that yeah 
But to kind of fill up my well, I had to go back there over New Year's and tap into the energy of that place. I'm, I totally believe in that. And it. like New Orleans, we're my partner and I feel this draw to New Orleans right now. Mm-hmm. She's originally from Louisiana. She was born in New Orleans, but she was in an orphanage for a year, the first year of mm-hmm. her life there, which Liz Lambert is now turning that orphanage into a hotel. Oh, that's awesome. Which will be really interesting. Yeah. So, but we were just there. And like you said, you walk down the street and you can hear 15 of the most incredible bands. And that's just in the clubs right. on one street. Right. And then you walk and you see a nine-year-old playing a milk crate. Right. And he's more talented than maybe some drummers right. that, you, <laughs> that you know that live down the street. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's so mind-blowing. Yeah. And the, how inspiring to live in a city. That city is just made of music. Yes. Very much so. You feel it everywhere. You feel the ghost of it. Mm-hmm. it oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love New Orleans. As we're starting to wrap up this segment, I want to ask you <laughs> Sorry, a question. A no, I, oh, I could do this all night. Um, a question that I typically ask at the beginning, but I want to know from you, and I think we've touched on it a little bit, but what does music mean to you? Survival. Mm. I really think that it, what a hard question. It means so many things to me. I've realized, like I was talking about in the beginning, that for a year and a half, or for a year, I've had a pretty serious writer's block, and that's the first time I've, that's happened in my life. And I've realized how much of my identity is truly wrapped up in it mm. and being a songwriter and being, or even being a, a side person. I love that. I mean, it, music is everything to me. Yeah. It makes me feel understood. It helps me to understand others. Right. I don't know what it would be like for my life to not have music in it in some way. I, I hope it. that answered your question. So. You're listening to after the encore. We'll be right back with Jamie Harris after this. I'm locking all the doors to my house Lights off, no need to ever come around You can take my number off your fridge You never need it, never need it Listening to After the Encore, I'm your host, Joe Sean. I'm back with Jamie Harris. And now I want to dig into the fact that you used to have a band, right, for a little bit when you were in Austin? I still have a band, well, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, you still have mm-hmm. a band. I apologize. But no, it it's was, all right. But it's different than it was, right? Yeah. Well, it's always changing in a way. I mean, I, I started out, and well, I mean, my first bass player when I moved to town was this guy named Brad Whittington, who's an author. And his son, Daniel Whittington, was my first drummer. He's now the cha- the vice chancellor of the Wizard Academy, 
which just wait, wait. Google the Wizard Academy hold, hold and let it blow your mind. Hold, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm so, there's so many questions. There's a lot at once. Oh um, my goodness. The Wizard, Wizard Academy is. Are we talking like Harry Potter? It's pretty magical. Okay. You, I still don't accurately know how to explain it. They <laughs> now have a distillery there. So they're making whiskey there. Wizard but it's whiskey? also this, it's just this place where they have, and they also have the biggest collection of Don Quixote art in the world what it's just it's so many things oh they, my goodness okay basically they offer these classes for people that want to know more about how to do their business better so okay but you could be in a room with a record label executive and the next to him could be a guy that owns a bunch of storage sheds but okay. whatever it is they tap into something amazing sure i still don't exactly know what it is but the place is great and they do a happy hour every friday oh that's awesome which is awesome and you go in and the one rule is that you can't talk about business which i love that's awesome because then you make gen- like genuine connections yes. with people, and you're just with the right people that don't. And you don't have to feel forced to like. Well, I really feel like I gotta like shop my stuff, and or else I feel like it's wasted. You can actually just get to know people. Exactly. I right. love it. That's yes. awesome. But you were in a what was it three and dime? Oh, five and dime. Five and yeah, dime. Yeah, five and dime. Yes. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, that was a great band. I um, and this friend Ellen O'Meara, and we. Got to be friends because um, my high school boyfriend, she dated in college. Okay. And he was like, I think you would, I know this is weird, but I have a feeling you would really like my girlfriend. I was like, sure. So we met up in Waco and we became very good friends. And we talked about putting a band together because for a while I was singing with David Ramirez. Okay. And um, I'd always done my own thing, but I wanted, you know, I knew I, I knew I needed something that wasn't just me solo, but I right. couldn't quite afford a band. Yeah. So Ellen and I talked about putting a duo together. And she played one night at the Cactus Cafe. She played a James Taylor tribute with this guy named Darwin Smith. Okay. And Darwin has one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard in my life. He used to be in Daniel Johnston's band. He's old school Austin. Yeah. Wonderful producer, very unique guy, beautiful writer. And so the three of us just fell into this thing. And three-part harmony, I played guitar and bass and banjo in that band and Ellen played accordion and guitar and mandolin, I think. Darwin played baritone, all sorts of stuff. It yeah. was really, really fun. And through that band was how I eventually got to meet Charlie Fay, who put on a tribute show. Uh, I think there was another James Taylor tribute show, if I remember correctly. And I met Betty Sue, who was one of my ultimate heroes. She's one of my songwriting heroes. And I was so excited to meet her that night. And she became... Um, she was really, really kind to me and took down my phone number. And then that night uh, I went to jail for drunk driving and mm. it was the second time I'd gone to jail. And at that point, no one was enabling me. Mm. And so I sat in there for quite a while mm. and then Ellen bailed me out and I was pretty sure I was going to kill myself. That was, seemed like the best solution at the time, very honestly. And it's hard, right? I mean, that, oh. that is the lowest feeling and it's hard and it's one of those things where you feel empty you know it's it's more of of a of a perspective of I, i'm not even sure how i can see to tomorrow from what's right here in front of me exactly and it's hard to climb forward and and really work through that so i i totally understand and empathize with that feeling because it's 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 real and it's raw and it's it's hard to talk to with 
people if there are even people that are around to talk to. Right. Oh, and I wasn't going to say anything. Right. I was just like, this is, I just, this is, I'm a mess. This is, I'm a disaster. There's right. no hope. I'm out. You know, financially, I'll never be able to afford to get out of this hole that is the criminal justice system. Uh, yes. Or maybe I can at least just go to jail for a year, but oh my God, how am I going to quit drinking for a year to even right. be in jail? Like, what's that going to be like? Right. You know, it just all seemed hopeless and I'm not going to be able to play music, you know, which right. is a, an important thing. And, and uh, I got a text message that like, Pretty much the moment I got home, or it might have been an email, one of the two, um, from Betty Sue, and she said, hey, I'm playing this gig at this folk club in Austin in a few months. Would you like to open for me? And I was like, maybe I can quit drinking long enough to play that gig. And that turned into six years. That's awesome. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I know it's it's not easy. Thank you. Yeah, it's... That's good though. You know, yeah. every, everything in my life, so many things in my life got easier though. Sure. And that's, that's the beautiful thing. My music and all of a sudden, you know, God or whoever you want to call it. I, right. I grew up in the Baptist church, Same. so that's the language I used to articulate sure. no, my, my spirituality. But, yep. but you know, all these miracles started happening right. and eventually my, the band that I have currently pretty much came out of um, shortly after that experience and all the people that lifted me up and right. the audience that supported my first record, yeah. you know, I would probably be dead or still doing stuff I'm not proud of and right. not making great music and still going without having a record Right. if that didn't happen to me. So it ended going to jail ended up being the best thing. Yeah. The second time. Sure. <laughs> <That> never happened. <laughs> Maybe it's accumulative. Maybe the first time. No, I put a no, dent, no, I know. A dent I know in the bucket mean. enough. I yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And so being a part of the Austin community, I know uh, having known, I mentioned earlier with Natalie Price and how that tight knit that community is. And I went and visited Natalie not too long ago and got to see a little bit of that mm -hmm. at a songwriter festival. And, and it's very, not only close knit, but just there's this sense of camaraderie that I hadn't seen before with a lot of other communities um, in the sense that it felt, I'm not sure I'm going to say this the best way, uh, but I'm going to try. I'm going to work through this thought. It felt the most genuinely optimistic camaraderie I've ever seen in the sense that I felt that everybody genuinely wanted the next person to be just as successful, if not more successful than them. Right. And it was Absolutely. like, you're working on the song. That's incredible. I want to hear everything about it. I don't want to talk about me. And I just want you to tell me about it. And that's awesome. Are you open to suggestions? Because I think if you added a mandolin here, it would be the best fucking thing in the world. And it's like, that's incredible. I was like, oh, is everybody high? Or, which maybe, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> I was like, either everybody's high or these people are genuinely good people or maybe a mixture of both. Genuinely good and people. It was incredible. So how was that? getting really tapped into that through those six years and, and as you're starting the process of working on your album and having the people support you, what was that like for your soul? Oh, so fulfilling. Yeah. And I, one of the struggles, if you want to, I'm not even sure that's the right word, but I'll just use that word for now as a, as a placeholder in my life is that as much as I love playing rock and roll and being a front person. I love being a side person. Mm. I love singing harmony on people's records. I love singing harmony with people live. I love so 
many different types of music and there are things that I can do with my voice that I don't put into my own writing. And so to be able to use that is really fun and just to encourage people in that way and to offer something is so exciting. So to, you know, and I've learned as I've gone throughout life that not everyone has the personality. Some people really need to be front people, even if they're great side people, their soul needs to be a front person. My soul is split right down the middle. And (laughs) so being, being in that community and there are a lot of people that are really, really willing to help musically. Right. And, you know, there's a time in my band, like Sela, who sings harmonies for me a lot of the times. She's one of the best songwriters in Austin. Right. She leads an incredible band. She's also a visual artist, and she's happily a supportive role, uh, played a supportive role in my band for six years. Yeah. And there was a time in my life when uh, my bass player and I lived next door to, to Sela and her husband, who plays drums in my band. You know, and they play in like eight different bands. Right. Uh, but that's really encouraging because people gave me a chance to, I know what Cela was doing with me. Cela's really good at putting people in her band. Like right now, my brother's playing guitar with her. Oh, that's awesome. And it's a great way. It's, it is awesome. And it's a great way to learn musically because yeah. if no one gives you the chance, right. how are you going to learn without doing it? So right. it's, it made me so much stronger as an artist and as a songwriter and as a, as a backup singer. And I'm so grateful that people gave me that chance. And looking back, hired me when at a time when I probably wasn't their first choice for the gig, or I might not have been the perfect person in a, uh, if you're just looking at skill level, but I was able to grow into that person now because of what that community offered me. Right. And just, you know, there's a whole group that'll go to the diner with you at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) and eat pancakes. You got to have those friends. You have to have those friends. It's imperative. My best friends in the entire world were people I, we went to skillets in Brownwood at 3 (laughs) a.m. trying to sit in the non-smoking section where the restaurant was this big and smoking was over there and I'm gesturing in like a 10 foot radius, right? (laughs) For those that can't see. But, and just talking about life and our how do we fit into this crazy thing and, you know, being invincible cause we're 21, but also recognizing that we're only here for a little bit and it's also existentialist to wonder what's next, but right. wondering about the whole process is you've got to, if you, those are people I would wake up at 3am and drive anywhere for right. and do anything for. And Absolutely. I think having those friends is what fosters that community and, and is is what I caught a glimpse of, you know, recently. And, and you can feel it when I hear you talking uh, on different people's podcasts, like the Singer Songwriter podcast mm-hmm. and, and other ones. And, and I can feel that connection with the people you're talking to or about. And it's just, it's incredible. It's a family. It's yeah. a real family. Like my friend Graham Weber and I, I became friends with Graham because my friend Betty, who I keep mentioning, hosted a gig called Girl Who Does Boy Who Does Girl. So the way that it worked was that a male songwriter would cover a female songwriter then I, oh, you know, so Curtis okay. McMurtry covered creatures actually yeah. and I got to cover Graham Weber okay and Graham and I had met a couple times but we weren't really friends and because of that gig I had to dive into his catalog and I was like holy shit these songs are incredible <laughs> and I picked out this song that he wrote called the ballad of the 04 lounge and when mm. I was still drinking the 04 lounge was one of my favorite places to get totally that was like if I was drinking away something, which I actually, uh, gotcha. anyways, wasn't always my MO. A lot of times I just really want to have a good time. But sure. that that was a dark place for yep. me. And I that song, I just knew that feeling that he was singing about. And we became great friends. And now 
he's got a four-year-old that's like one of my, I consider her one of my best friends. Yeah. You know, it's a real family. That's awesome. That's really special. And that's the thing that now that I'm living in Nashville, I miss so much. Sure. I miss that community. I miss that family. Because I know that the community in Nashville is similar and different. Uh, speaking with a couple of friends like Cody Ballou that's up there and Tony Luca and, and hearing about their contributions to the Nashville songwriter community, right? It's, it's tight knit, but it's also very difficult to kind of penetrate at times. And, and I don't mean penetrate in that you're trying to break up an inner circle. I mean that you're trying to find someone to welcome you in. Right. You and know? I got lucky. There's a guy named Brian Wright who is just a wonderful songwriter. And he yeah. grew up in Lorena. Okay. Just like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Right. And he runs with Aaron Lee Tashton and John Latham and Nick Nace, who's like a new John Prine. Okay. They're all these, you know, they're kind of like the outcasts. And that's yeah. that's where I fit in. I fit in with the outcasts, if right. that makes any sense yeah. in its own rare way. And they, they've been really welcoming to me. And, of course, my partner Mary has been there for 20 years. Sure. And so that's pretty mind-blowing. Like, oh, Gretchen Peters, who wrote Independence Day, a yeah. close friend now. You know, that, that's, that's crazy. Amy Lou Harris. Right. I've sung with Amy Lou Harris a couple yeah. of times. I mean, that Nashville experience is pretty thrilling. That's awesome. Talk me through your relationship with Jimmy LaFay. I know he passed away back in 2017. Yeah. Is that correct? Wow. It's been almost three years. Right. Yeah. And I know that he sang on Red Rescue. He sang backup vocals for the title track. And so what was your relationship like with him? Because you also sung on his record. I sung on two of his records. Two of his records. That's, that's right. how we met, actually. I was a huge fan of his. Yeah. Uh, maybe when I was 15, I really started learning a lot of his songs. I actually think a lot of the way that I play guitar is definitely from sitting around and playing Jimmy songs. And yeah. there are songs that I didn't know that he, you know, because I didn't have liner notes for a lot of them. Sure. So I didn't realize, oh, that's a Bob Dylan song. Right. Oh, that's a Donovan song. <laughs> right, right, like just, right. That's a Bruce Springsteen song. Right, right, I just right. heard Jimmy do it. Yeah. So um, a few years ago, Jimmy had asked someone to sing on his record and that person couldn't make it. And so I got recommended, but he had never met me before. Sure. So I met him in the studio and of course I'm a stranger and I'm terrified. My friend asked me because she knew I was a huge fan. So I'm like, <laughs> this really matters to me. I can't right, believe right, I'm getting to sing on his right, record. And right. so we started out with this Bob Dylan thing and that was pretty cool. And then we took a break and he made pretty much all of his records at Cedar Creek, which is this legendary yep. studio in Austin. Yeah. That's where uh, Reverend Sean Amos, who was on, uh, oh, cool. volume one, I believe that's where his latest album was recorded. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. It's beautiful, Anyways. beautiful studio, yep. a bunch of land and, uh, we're not a bunch. It's actually kind of getting uh, yeah. pushed in a little yeah. bit, but you know, we're standing and there's this wall, this wooden wall that has all of these records, you know, from the, from the floor to the ceiling, pretty much of records that were made there. Yeah. And Jimmy was standing behind me, and he said, uh, do you know any of the records on that wall? And I was like, this is, like, why I moved here. Right. He's like, all right, cool. And so <laughs> we did this next song, and uh, and because his voc vocal styling is so – it's, like, cellular for me. I just listen to him so much that he – I was like, is it okay if I try this thing? You know, and it matched up pretty cool, and he enjoyed it, and then – he said, well, maybe I'll come see you play sometime. I'd like to see you play. And I was like, sure. And so I kept inviting him. And I'm not really like that. I'll sure. invite someone twice. I'm like, eh, well, if they, they clearly don't want to come, I don't want to bother sure. them. Sure. But I kept inviting him. And then I did eventually give up after a year. And then he showed up to a gig. <laughs> and uh, and so we became friends. And we another diner guy, he was a very, very nocturnal person. And yeah. so he would be up in the middle of the night. And we'd just go and talk about music. And then he found out that I started 
to get interested in Woody Guthrie. And so he told me, oh, well, you should hear this song. You should check this out. Or, you know, if you don't know anything about Woody Guthrie, he left behind a huge body of work mm. when he passed away. And so like the Mermaid Avenue, the Wilco, oh, Billy Bragg, those yeah. are all Woody Guthrie songs. Okay. And Nora Guthrie's daughter gave a batch of those songs to Jimmy. And so he had asked me, you know, maybe we could work on them together. I'm like, don't, I just found out about Woody Guthrie, really. I mean, right. don't you want to ask someone? He said, no. He was like, I, th- I really feel like I would like to work on these with you. I was like, great. And then he got diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And, and with him, it was, it wasn't just, oh God, it's hard. It's hard to explain. It wasn't just Jimmy. It was Ashley, his, his partner and, and his whole band and their wives. Yeah. I just fell into that thing. I, sure. We all clicked and we saw so many things very similarly. And Jimmy would argue if he didn't feel the same way and he would make a good point and we would be like, you know, yelling at each other right. over pancakes. <laughs> and but he, it, that meant so much to me. And now yeah. Jimmy has connected me even after his passing to so many people. Right. He was a huge connector. I think we have that in common. I love putting people together that I think should know each other. Yeah. And he had that skill, not just, oh, meet so-and-so. He knew how to put the right people together, and that's right. a really particular skill. It is. And the way that he ran his band, his sensibilities, I mean, he was just an incredible guy. Yeah. And he did a lot to help, you know, Slade Cleves and John Fulbright, and right. he was kind of setting me up to, to help me out some. And, and But I feel so grateful that I got the time with him and that's eventually how I met my partner was through yeah. Jimmy. I mean, he, it's his spirit still feels so present in my life. It's amazing. In so many ways. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. We'll be right back with more Jamie Harris after this. Oh, but he's 
so appealing in the dark Oh, isn't it strange, isn't it strange Having that'll change it Oh, isn't it strange, isn't it strange Having that'll change it Seems we have been excused from all our poor decisions by the fullness of the moon or a planet changing direction. But I am not in news. No. Well, oh, isn't it strange, isn't it strange how the night will change it? Oh, isn't it strange, isn't it strange how the night will change it? Oh, isn't it strange, isn't it strange how the night will change it? Isn't it strange, isn't it strange how the night will change you? You're listening to After the Encore. I, that was Jamie Harris. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And that is my favorite song off the record, Red Rescue, Creatures. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So let's, let's actually dive into that. Talk me through how that song specifically came about, and then we'll go through a lot of your experiences and perspectives of Red Rescue and then also like what's on the horizon for you. Great. You know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever been asked about the construction of this song. So it's almost hard for me to recall. I remember that I was, um, I was playing with five and dime at the time okay. we talked about. And, yep. um, I heard this just thing in my car when I was driving. I love to drive and I just, I get a lot of ideas when I'm in the car yeah. and, um, and I just heard that chorus and I wasn't sure exactly what it meant yet. And then, um, I actually was in a relationship is kind of a loose term okay. <laughs> with, with a person that was um, a self-identified vampire. Okay. This is an actual thing. So um, <laughs> not as metaphorical as it might seem, I guess. But um, And I just, it was one of those back and forth and 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 back right. and forth for a long, too long of a time thing. And right. you know that feeling when... Um, during the daytime, you know what the right thing is to do, and you can really stay on the beam. Yes. And then something about you go to a place, and you're like, I'm going to not do this, and that person is there, and you're like, well, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> I guess we're doing this right, again, right, right, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I completely understand. For me, I think it's it's interesting, too, because for me, the, the song, it – the way I've been interpreting it has been the your interpretation is so cool. <laughs> it blew me away. I was like, I love we're talking about that, like the power of a right. song when yeah. it can take on everyone has their own meaning. You right. Know? But I almost I, didn't want to tell you because no, I was like, I don't want to. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but no, I just, the interpretation for me with regards to 
the night can really bring about these personal struggles and battles and trauma that can happen to someone and it can change you. Right. And the night can be the literal night, right? right. Where a bad right. thing can happen or it can be the metaphorical night and you're now seeing over the horizon and the sun's peeking out and you're working through it. I, I, I saw a quote and I don't remember the, the journalist that wrote it down, but he, he wrote out that he said he was interviewing Maya Angelou once and she told him before they even started she said i want you to write this in your notebook every storm eventually runs out of rain every wow. storm eventually runs out of rain and he said i've never forgotten that to this day that was like decades ago that's incredible and i just and that is what i feel when i listen to creatures for me that i just feel i feel the emotional journey of a struggle and a hardship and a storm. And at the end, I feel clarity and perspective. And first time I listened to it, I went, whew, I feel something here. And I'm not sure what it is. And I don't know that I want to revisit what that is. And then I listened to it again and it gave me goosebumps. And then I listened to it a third time and it made me cry. And, oh, wow. and that is the power of a song and the power that music can have. And I know that there's a lot of personal touches on the record um, specifically I believe we referenced earlier Snow White Knuckles talking about your your journey through sobriety and and getting out through the other side and I believe I heard a story about how you had played that song um, at a correctional facility am I uh, am I correct I've, in that played, I've played it in the Gatesville prison okay and um, and that was where you saw a reaction that was uh, different than what you had seen previously. Am I misremembering? Well, I've had a couple. Ex I mean, that that's a great that song. Um, like, I feel like what just happened with you and me is um, has given me pers like mm. perspective. Like the the song told you something that hadn't told me yet, sure. and now I'm like, wow, I, you're right. Yeah. And the song knows more than I do. I mean, and even the and line. Like, I know you talked about the. Uh, person I self-identifying as a vampire <laughs> yeah. and like sucking the blood out. Right. But to me, it's like, that's what the journey, cause you literally feel like all the blood has been sucked out of you. Yeah. But also too, it's like, it's not a mystery. Sure. It's not like the vampire isn't telling you right. that they're going to fuck you up. You right. know, it's like, here are the fangs. They yeah. are right here. Right. I'm not hiding anything from you. Right. It just is, for some reason, because yep. of maybe my own internal darkness, more appealing sure. at certain times. Who knows? <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You know, but that yeah. doesn't obviously need to be. Yeah. I, but um, yeah, so I played I played it at the Gatesville prison, which was um, really powerful. I think yeah. to the, that day that it's probably the most incredible gig I've ever played. And um, I still don't really have I've tried to write about that experience and I don't have words to articulate it. Sure. Yet. That's how powerful it was. And it was. I think like January of 2019. So, mm. um, but the thing that blew my mind, we were talking about it earlier, but I'm a huge Woody Guthrie fan. Yeah. And um, there's this incredible place in Tulsa called the Woody Guthrie Center where archivists are there and they go through a lot of the material. So they change out the material in there quite often. Okay. And um, they had a six anniversary celebration a year ago. And my partner and I got to go be a part of that celebration. Yeah. And, there's an organization there called Women in Recovery. And Women in Recovery is basically an alternative for jail or prison for nonviolent drug and alcohol offenders that okay. are women. And Oklahoma incarcerates more women per capita than any state in our country. That's crazy. That's crazy. I don't... There's probably reasons related to the way in which individuals approach 
incarcerating these women that would speak to why that is the case. But absolutely, I don't. I feel ding, like, ding, 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 yes. bingo, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a uh, a philanthropist, um, a billionaire in Tulsa that puts a lot of money into a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is George Kaiser, and he set up this organization, and they offer housing for the women. So there are three different stages of housing. So the first one is very communal. And then the second stage is, I think you have a roommate, but you're in a house and then you go to your own place, but that's a long phase. Mm-hmm. Um, they offer 12 step recovery meetings, educational services, conflict resolution. Cause a lot of history, as you know, is for a lot of addicts is trauma. Yeah. Trauma is what, you know, whether it's known to the person most awfully, most often, not obviously, right. yeah, yeah. but that's kind of the catalyst. And if you have a parent, especially a mother that's incarcerated, mm-hmm. it leads to the kind of trauma that just continues that cycle of incarceration and addiction and all the that's things that come from that. That's where you have generation Exactly. Of, yeah. yep. So they're trying to break that cycle. Yeah. And one of the most amazing things, this blew my mind, is that when the women reach a certain stage in the program, they get a smartphone that has an app and it notifies the woman if she's in a dangerous part of Tulsa. Like an area with heavy crime, lots of drug, sure. no drug dealers, that kind of thing. And it pops up a notification and says, would you like to get a ride out of this area? Or would you like to go to a 12-step recovery meeting? Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, we were, so there's, I guess it was maybe the first stage of women. So there are about 50 women in the room. I mean, these are women that have just come from getting out of jail. Yeah. A lot of them are probably in a situation where they've left a violent relationship. Yeah. And so that for me, for the second verse, I wrote, I was not in a violent relationship. Right. But when I realized, I didn't realize the power of that or what, the, how that could be interpreted until I had that experience of playing it for those women. Right. And it allowed me, I, at the time I, you know, I played with a seven piece band for a long time. And like we talked about when yeah. I started out, I would play with my dad and then I yeah. sang with David. So I've always had kind of one other person with me right. at least. And when I started touring with Mary, I was touring, playing solo. Just you and the guitar. Just me and a guitar. Mm. And I had a full on mental breakdown when we were on tour in the Netherlands I because it was it. so terrifying. And I realized it's such a different art form. Yeah. And I I just so it was so uncomfortable to sit and talk about myself on stage. Sure. Which is like, okay, there's a way to do that in, in, in a way that's powerful and then connects with people. But it felt awkward and it felt weird. Yeah. And it felt narcissistic and all these weird things. Yeah. And I was just praying for that to change. Yeah. And after that experience with the women, I realized, oh my gosh, these songs that I've written, I can use them to talk about the criminal justice system. Right. I can use them to talk about the crisis of mental health in our country. Yes. And that experience turned the key for me or turned on the light bulb. Yeah. And has helped me so much and reconnected me to the purpose. Yep. Ugh. The record is so strong for me in the sense that there are I feel this way about a lot of a lot of music, but I think one of the things in which I love about a, a it's going to sound like I'm repeating myself. One of the things that I love about albums that I love (laughs) is the fact that every time I listen to it, I get a different perspective every single time. Sometimes it's just another layer of the same perspective. 
more fleshed out. Oftentimes it's something I hadn't thought of, a different perspective. And, and I think being able to hear the stories behind how the songs impact people, speaking from my own experience, but also speaking from other, hearing other people's experiences, what resonates with me. And I think this is why music has such a power in and of itself. And it's, it, it is transformative and it, it, I think it's easy for me to speak from a, from growing up in a religious household, but I think for me, it is an extremely spiritual experience. And, and to me, that is how I feel at one with the universe is when I have those, when I'm standing at Petronelli Falls, listening to creature in the middle of nowhere with stars coming down, you know, I'm stars not coming down. They're not hitting me on the head, but looking up <laughs> at the stars underneath my head and just feeling transformative in the moment. And I mean, it's happened to me listening to Coldplay and it's happened to me listening to little Walter. I mean like oh, wide, little Walter. Awesome. Wide, yeah, wide range. I also love Coldplay ours. by the way. I've had right. an experience with Coldplay myself. <laughs> Fix you was a massive oh. part of my life. Oh <laughs> my God. Oh my God. <laughs> like so many, oh, so, so many crying, so much crying and driving at night, listening yes. to that record. Yes. But. And then gravity for John Mayer does it for me literally mm. every time. Yeah, that's that is something I I that is something com- I comfortable. Oh, I mean, can we talk yeah. about? Are we? Can we yeah. please talk about John yes. Mayer? I, yes, no. I am no shame. <laughs> I don't know why people are so okay. bummed out about I, John Mayer. I have you to know, say, come on, I he's have, great. I love John Mayer. I selfishly did not like when he moved off and got happy because I felt like I didn't like his music as much anymore, and that's a really selfish thing <laughs> to say. But when he wrote Continuum. Oh, he was at a low point, but the music was beautiful and it was, I was also at a low point. So maybe it was just, I resonated with it, but, um, all of his music, I bought room for squares. I was there for heavier things, the John Mayer trio. And then I went back and got the EP before room for squares. And then I got continuum and listening to And that's where I was saying, when we're talking about songs like comfortable and we're talking about songs like gravity, Gravity is a song that resonated with me when I was 21 listening to it. And now that I have and felt invincible, right? But also was very aware of my mortality. And now I'm 32 and I have two beautiful children and am more aware of my mortality and feel gravity hits on a completely different level. And I think it meets you where you're at. These songs that we're drawn to and these artists that we're drawn to. But That's so beautifully put. Oh, well, thank you. But <laughs> it... It's true. It's we like music because it sounds good, sure, but it it resonates with us because it meets you where you're at and allows you to work through stuff you don't know you need to work through. Sometimes you need to talk through it. Sometimes you need to go to therapy. Sometimes you just need to listen to Fix You and fucking cry on the yes. highway. <laughs> you know? And I do know. <laughs> and I love the story about you writing Red Rescue in the sense that the the end of the guy from his first marriage went to this house and he saw like he was served the weird meal with spoiled milk and everything that could be read in the house was red. But he thought I can save this woman from this poor existence. And that never ends well. It's always a terrible, terrible attempt. But the fact that 
you've got that story and I didn't mean to like speak for you, but I was just, I love the story of like, how am I going to save you? How am I going to save you? And then I can do it. And I think it speaks to the ignorance and naivety of an individual, but also how we're trying to like, we want everybody to be okay. And we want the collective, everybody to be taken care of. And I think it speaks to me on the level of like, yeah, I've been there. I've been trying to save people, right? But it also speaks to me on the fact that I'm like, yeah, but I really just want everybody to be okay. And can't we all just like sing songs and be happy? Like, Right. You know, it's interesting you say that because what I realized, like for a long time, I wanted, I didn't know what I wanted to call the record. Right. I didn't have a title. And then I started thinking about Red Rescue. It's like something about it. I just, I, you know, and... You'd already written the song at this point, right? Oh, yeah. It had been recorded. Gotcha. It took us okay. a long time. So we started making that record in 2016, in April of 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. And it wasn't finished till, I think, New Year's Eve, like going into 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was a long process. Yeah. And someone told me, like, don't call it that. That's weird. What does it mean? But once I started thinking about it, I started being able to visualize it, the whole record. Mm. And the guy, my friend Brandon Aguilar, who, the guy, Brandon Aguilar, <laughs> such a dude. It's okay. yeah, you know my friend, my dude, the guy? Yeah, um, yeah, of course, of course. Brandon Aguilar, <laughs> who did the photo shoot for me. Which is fantastic, by the way. He is a brilliant artist. He's, we were just in the studio yesterday. He was taking pictures. And he's awesome. he's gotten even better. And him and his girlfriend got together making, like, she did the package design. And oh, they got awesome. to love story. I yeah. love him. So stoked. <laughs> but we were out at our friend Bill Worrell's place and shooting pictures. And he said, hey, I, I don't know if you know what you want to do for your album cover. And at that point, I did know. Yeah. And he said, but I have this idea. And what he said was the exact idea that I had in my head. I said, we got to call the record Red Rescue. It was, it was fate. Yeah. It was incredible. And I realized, you know, that song, in a way, is the only song that, I mean, isn't, quote, about me on the record. Right. And I realized, nope, it's about me, in a way. Because I realized that, how am I going to save you? How am I going to save you? Like you said, you can't, how you can save someone is by encouraging them to find the power within themselves. Yes. And it, you can't tell someone what to do. I know more than anyone. If anyone tells me what to do, I'm going to do the exact fucking opposite thing that you just told me to do. <laughs> Even exactly. if it's the right thing, I'm just exactly. like, it's that addict thing in me. It's like, nope, yep. I'm like yep. rebelling. Yep. But um, but I realized, you know, there's that one line, you know, how am I going to save you when that darkness lives in you too? Yes. And I realized, oh, it, okay. It, I just That's got, what this I record is about. Yeah. That's what this whole record is about. And yeah. I, I didn't even know. Yeah. I'm getting chills just like thinking about it because it's so incredible and it is it is about the darkness and it is about empowering one to have the power to change your situation and to see the light over the storm and to feel that the rain is letting off and to crawl out of whatever you're in and, and find the way forward. And that is amazing to me. I, I love, so whenever I listen to a record and we're going to, we're going to get into what you've, you've been on a big tour and then what's up next. We're going to get into that here as we start wrapping up the segment. But I love listening to albums. I know a lot of people will release singles now, 
I love listening to albums from start to finish, at least the very first time, because I feel like the artist put a lot of thought into the way it's ordered and structured. And I also do that with After the Encore. If you're listening and you're jumping around, there's a listening order that I crafted for each of this. And, and so you can listen. And this is a single, but there is a still a listening order anyways. But I read, I used to subscribe to Alternative Press Magazine when I was in college because oh, I yeah. thought I was a fucking badass. Anyways. Yep. <laughs> And I saw an article. It was when Angels and Airwaves released We Don't Need to Whisper, their first album. And Tom DeLonge, who's probably got his own share problems, but he <laughs> he was being interviewed. And the one question that they usually ask people is like, how do you want people to like consume your album or record? And most people are like, I just want them to be like driving down the car, and like jamming out, like, you know, standard stuff. He, he had like this huge, long paragraph where he said, all right, I want people to get into a dark room individually or collectively light candles all around start the record from start to finish don't randomize it don't skip around just listen to start to finish close your eyes and just take it in and of course you know i'm like 19 so i'm like this is fucking deep man and so, <laughs> and so i did it i bought his album and i mean where it was in a college dorm so i couldn't have candles but like i had a lamp on you so couldn't have candles no we could have candle warmers but that's the dumbest thing in the world because <laughs> you can smell the candle but you, you don't <laughs> anyways it was a fire hazard we were in an old building oh but, that makes sense okay but, <laughs> We also couldn't have microwaves in our room either, so uh, yeah, we had a community I would microwave. Not, it's, I, was, I, <laughs> I was just about to say, I would not have lasted in college very long, and I realized <laughs> I, <didn't>. I did it. <laughs> that already happened. I, did, I already tried and failed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I had a lamp on, and I listened to it, and it might have been because I was just 19 and impressionable, but it really resonated with me, and while that album is not one of my top fives, I still do listen to it, but it's the fact that it took me on this journey that stayed with me. And so when I listen to Red Rescue and I listen to it from start to finish, it takes me on that whole journey. And I listen to the opening track and I just feel this like, fuck you attitude and I'm going to do what I want and you're not going to tell me. And then it goes into Creatures and I'm like, oh my God, everything is hitting me. And then we're going and then we're in Snow White Knuckles. And it's like, I got to get out of this and Red Rescue. And it's like, someone's going to save me. No, no one can save me. I've got to do it. And by the time the record's over, I'm just emotionally spent and exhausted, but I feel a sense of clarity that I've climbed up over the abyss and I'm on my way to a new journey. And that's what the record says to me. And I'm not gushing because you're here. That's like, I've. Thank you. Yes. And so that's why I love music and albums and the way in which it's structured because I feel everything is intentional. And so on that note, you've been on a big tour with Mary and how, and can you please help me? How? Gauche. Thank you. <laughs> Gauche. Thank you. Yes. So how has that tour been going? It's been going for a little while now, right? It's been incredible. We began touring together in August of 2018. Okay. And my first gig ever with Mary was at the offices of HBO in Santa Monica. Whoa. Showcasing (laughs) all of the producers of miniseries. For placements. Oh, for, for song, for song placement placements within the shows. Exactly. Game of Thrones, I assume. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. If anyone. So, um, yeah, Carrie Anthelis, who now is running a really cool true crime website, is he's just, he's a magical guy and he's a big fan of Mary. And so he brought us in and he was the head of miniseries at HBO for a long time. He, he left last year to, to run this miniseries thing. And then that record got nominated for a Grammy. That's you know, awesome. I went, I got, went to Europe for the first time, got my first stamp on my passport, had to get it. Actually, the day that we started dating, Mary was like, 
you know, you you need to get a passport. And they're like, okay. So we're, <laughs> she's like, you're really going to need that passport in our relationship. And she was very right. So um, it's been insane. I've learned about where so many of the holes in my knowledge are, about sound, about just many things. Mm-hmm. And it's made me want to work 10 times harder. That's awesome. I feel my voice getting stronger, though. I feel my guitar playing getting stronger. And there are things like being on stage with Lou Harris. That's like, incredible. That's the reason yeah. I got a guitar, you yeah. know, like, yeah. oh my gosh, Lou Harris, you know, right. and Casey Chambers, who I was a huge fan of. I mean, I'm still a huge fan of, but right. I d- listened to the captain a million times that yeah. record. I love it so much. And I'm learning how to step into my worthiness, mm-hmm. which feels, and maybe this comes from the Baptist background because I was very involved in worship, which by the way, Worship, leading worship will teach you how to put together a good set list. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you learn it. the arc of a show it. for it's like, sure. Right, you gotta start him here, bring him down, get him in the palm of your hand, and then exactly, get back yep. exactly right. Yep. And, uh, but some, you know, because the, the, when you're, it's not, and I still feel this way spiritually. I mean, it's not about me, right? You know, I mean, these, I'm singing the songs, but I don't have this like look at me thing, right? You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But in moments when it's like I need to step up and stop being the kid, because I've always been the kid. I've been the kid under, you know, I mean, not, not that anyone made me feel that way, but that's how I feel because I got to work with my heroes. Right. And to be able to step up and go, oh, people are asking me questions about songwriting now, or people are asking me questions like about recording now. Like, right. I still can't wrap my mind around that. Right. That, I, I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly, but it's been a wild journey. But there is a point in... The Netherlands, when we were on tour and I had a full-on breakdown because I felt this resistance from the crowd because mm-hmm. we didn't exactly announce that I was going to be on those shows. Okay. And so in America, which is funny because now I have a record deal in the Netherlands and I'm going back there <laughs> and it's going great and they they love me and right. it's wonderful. But right. at the time I felt like, you know, here, if... I was coming up to do a song. It feels, oh, that's cool. Like a bonus. We get to discover a new artist. But right. The like feeling ooh, an I, opening act or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But the feeling I got from the Netherlands was, oh, no. I paid to see Mary and this person is taking away. Where is she? Yeah. Exactly. Am I being hoodwinked? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. that was hard. And we finally like had to readjust and go, mm. okay, let's do one song and let's do it together, the three of us. Mm. And But also at the same time, that's eventually what led me to getting on antidepressants. And that has been a game changer in my life. That's good. A game changer. But I've always I've always wanted to be on the road. I just quit yep. my day job in 2018. And yeah. I've seen the world now. I mean, not all of it, but I've seen a lot of it. And I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love going out there and meeting people and connecting with people. And I just having new experiences and playing skee-ball and pinball at every place I can find on yep. earth. I love it. I don't think... Everyone loves being on the road, sure. but I really, really do. And it's really exciting to be able to share that with my partner. That's awesome. Last thing before we leave, if there is one, what, maybe this is a better way to say it. What is one mantra or one piece of advice you would want to leave us with? Can I give you two? Of course. You can okay. give me 10 if you wanted. One is if you're a songwriter or any creative person. Mm-hmm. I believe, I know, it's deeper than believing, it's a knowing, it's cellular, that we all have a story to tell. Mm. And it's a story that can only, I I can only, I can tell my story and you have something to offer in your story. 
And if your soul is calling you to write songs, to pay attention to that and to honor that and to share what you have that's unique with the world because you're the only person that can tell that story. Yep. And beyond that, I want to pull this up. I was listening to the new Terry Allen record. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with Terry Allen. He's from Lubbock. I love all those Lubbock guys. <laughs> Incredible songwriter. He's also a visual artist. And Randy Lewis did this piece about him in the New York Times, or in the New York Times, I'm sorry, in the LA Times. And it ends with this Terry Allen quote that blew my mind. It says, uh, he says, uh, when you start working on something, you are quickly aware of all the things you don't know about it, mm. the things you can't see. Then curiosity kicks in and you look for the perverse things from the other side that are hidden, the mystery. That's where all of the interesting stuff comes from. I've heard that. It's pretty badass, right? It's really badass. It's so accurate. That's some deep Terry Allen wisdom. I love it. It's so amazing. So that's what I have to share is oh. listen to Terry Allen. Got it. <laughs> well, Jamie, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So uh, I'm on all social media. It's my name, Jamie, which is J-A-I-M-E-E Harris. I think on Facebook, it's Jamie Harris official, but... Mm. I've got a website, jamieharris.com, and tons of stuff. I keep my news updated really well on there. So there's press stuff and videos and my newsletter. You can go back and read every newsletter if you are bored and <laughs> have insomnia and want to hear what's been right, going on in my life right. for the past three to <laughs> ten years. But, That's um, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on After the Encore. We appreciate it. And here to play us out one last time is Jamie Harris. <laughs> Shaking with fear Just praying for another day To stay in the clear Well I never thought I'd find God here Well I never thought I'd draw sober breath I always thought
podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.